What a wonderful day we've had. It is the Lord's day and you have certainly dedicated it to Him in excellent fashion. I've enjoyed being with all of you today. Had a good lunch, good visit, and of course it's been a good meeting. Several years ago, in fact, about 28 or 29 years ago, Billy Orton came to Shreveport to receive a heart transplant. While he was there, he had many complications and almost died. But the Lord was gracious and gave him two more very good years. But while he was there, he received a card from his home congregation that was signed by all the members. It was a, a card that was about three feet long and it had a man hanging at the end of a long rope and the caption read, hang in there. Well, of course he did. That was good advice for him. It's good advice for you and me. That regardless of what the circumstances may be, we hang in there and we remain faithful to our Lord. I think that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote Philippians, the third chapter, the 20th and 21st verses, and then the first verse of the next chapter. He said, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved." It seems to me that the apostle is saying, since you are citizens of heaven and since Jesus is going to come again and he's going to transform your body into something that is wonderful, you need to stand in there, hang in there until that time comes. You be faithful regardless of what happens and then you will be gloriously rewarded. I think that the apostle was deeply anxious about these Christians. He trembled at the very prospect of their backing off or drawing back. He believed that they had won, won the victory as it were. And he wanted to keep that victory. You know it is said when the British hero Wolf was in that great battle of Quebec that he received a mortal wound at the very time that the enemy was fleeing. And so he said to his aide, he said, you stand me up and hold me up. Don't allow my brave soldiers to see me drop. The day is ours, oh, do keep it. I think that's what the apostle was saying to these brethren at Philippi. The day is ours, the victory is ours. Hold on to that victory regardless. Tonight I see three wonderful points in our lesson. First of all, I see them in the right place. 
And the apostle longed that they keep their place. And then he urged some very good motives for their doing so. Yes, they were in the right place. You know, it's always important that we begin well. Somebody has said, well begun is half done. Sometimes I think that people don't lay the proper foundation for their Christian life. As a result, cracks appear in that foundation. And when there are cracks in the foundation, they'll appear in the superstructure as well. So we need to begin right. And to begin right is to begin in the Lord, in Christ. You know, people may be very good. They may be doing some wonderful works. They may be engaging in great things. But if they're not in the Lord, if they're not in Christ, then they are lost. It's absolutely essential that we be in the Lord. Well, what does it mean to be in the Lord? Well, it means that we have flown to the Lord in obedience to His gospel. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, the apostle said, We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You see, Jesus becomes our refuge. He becomes our hiding place. So I ask you, have you flown to Jesus Christ? Have you found that good refuge in Him? You know, there's refuge there, and there's refuge nowhere else. In Acts 4 and 12, the, the Bible teaches us, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men by which we shall be saved. And then, of course, to be in the Lord is to be in His church. You know, the apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that we're baptized into one body. He tells us in Ephesians, the second, uh, first chapter, the 22nd verse, that to be in uh, Christ is to be in his church, or the body is his church. It also means that we're in Christ as to our daily life. Jesus said, abide in me. And I especially appreciate Colossians 2 and 6 where the apostle says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You know, to walk is to order your life. And the apostle says that we are to walk in Christ. That is, we're walking Christ, living our lives in the circle of his influence, remaining in daily enjoyment of him, with reliance on him, and living in obedience to him. That's what it means to be in Christ. But further, it means to be in Christ by a living and a vital union with Christ. That is, by a lasting union joined with Him as our covenant head. You know, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we have to be, remain in the vine. Jesus said, you abide in me. That is where we have our life and our abundant life. I like the words of the apostle in Galatians 2 and 20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So in Christ is a very short expression in God's word. The apostle Paul uses it 
over and over again. That's our very element in which we live and move and have our very being as Christian people. Just as the birds are in the air that buoys them up and allows them to fly. Just as the fish are in the sea that gives them the ability to live. So the Christian is in Christ and he is the one who surrounds us. He is the one who animates us. He's the one who gives us life. And so I say in the first place that these people were in Christ. They were in the right place. And it delighted the Apostle Paul that that was true. And they were objects of his joy and his love. He called them brethren. He also said that they were dearly beloved. That is doubly beloved because it said, he said it twice. He said that they were longed for, that is, he longed to be in their company, and more than that, they were his joy and his crown, his delight and his very reward. So they were in the right place, and so now the apostle says, you stay in that place. He longed that they keep their place. You see, the beginning of Christianity is not the sum of Christianity. The sum of godliness is not experienced in a day or a week or a month or a year or a period of time. It's something that has to be experienced for a lifetime. I'm so disturbed sometimes that people don't remain in the Lord. You see, when we enter into Jesus, we enter into that vineyard and we take up the tools to work in that vineyard. But we got to work in it all of our lives. When we enter into the Christian life, we enter into the race, as it were. But we've got to run that race all the way to the end. That's why the Bible tells us in Matthew 10 and 22, He who endures to the end will be saved. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So godliness is a lifelong business. We don't work out our salvation in just a period of time. It's something that we have to work out for our entire lives. You know, what's so disturbing to me is the fact that so many have not kept their place. I tell them in Shreveport that if we could gather up all of the backsliders that are still alive in Shreveport that once were members of the church, We'd have to build a new building, establish another congregation because there are so many. Well, why? Why is this? It's simply because they have not stood fast in the Lord as the Lord would have them. But you know, it's not always easy to stand fast. It's like a man one time said, it's hard to keep on. And another man answered him, he said, yes, and it's even harder to keep on keeping on. Well, we've got to stand fast. Well, how are we to stand fast? We need to stand fast doctrinally. In this age, my friends, when so many ships are pulling up their anchors and they're just drifting along and they are being blown about by every wind of doctrine, it is so important that you and I put our anchors deep into God's truth and stand fast in the Lord. Hearken to no teaching, but the teaching of the Word of God. Find that truth, grasp that truth, and hold it dear. 
as the Old Testament writer said, buy the truth and sell it not. The apostle said in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, the 21st verse, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. When it becomes unpopular, hold it even tighter. When they call you narrow-minded and they mock you, just rejoice that you can be persecuted for Jesus' sake. Be like the, the giant oak that puts its roots deep into Mother Earth. Then when the storms come, it's not blown over because it has its roots deep. And we must put our roots deep into God's truth so that we will not be blown over as it were. The apostle said in 2 Timothy 1 and 13, hold fast the form of sound words. He said in Titus 1 and 9, holding fast the faithful word. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 13, he says, watch, stand fast in the faith. What is the faith? It's that body of truth that is contained in his word. He says, you hold that fast and stand fast to the Lord. Next, I would say you need to stand fast practically. Not only hold fast to God's word, but practice that word. Stand fast in applying that word to your life. As the apostle one time said in Romans 12 and 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, the apostle says, don't be moved by the laxity of this age. Don't allow yourself to be conformed to the mold that the world would like to put you into. In these times of worldliness and impurity and self-indulgence and error, it behooves the Christian to gather his garments as it were about him and remain faith, uh, true, true and faithful to the Lord. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1 and 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. What good advice that was from that man who had established that very congregation. And then of course we must stand fast experientially in our own private life, in a close adhesion to our Lord, always aware of his presence, living in a close and intimate communion and fellowship with him. And we do that through a careful and prayerful study of his word by having a, a, a consistent prayer life and be, by depending upon the God of heaven who can strengthen us with, with might by his spirit in the inner man. And then we must stand fast without wavering in our trust. You know, Jesus has saved us. He's promised to save us and he can keep us saved, saved if we will remain in him, steadfast in him. Commit ourselves as we're to Jesus who does all things well and he will keep us until the end. Then stand fast without wandering into sin. You're tempted, the passions rise, the lust revel, the devil hurls his suggestions 
even sometimes our loved ones will tempt us to uh, depart from the Lord. You stand fast. You hang in there. You know, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. You know, a sheep does not leave the fold suddenly. It just goes from one turf of grass to another turf of grass. And suddenly it realizes that it's away from the foe. So it is with Christian people. They don't leave the Lord suddenly. It's usually over a period of time. And so we must stand fast. Stand fast without wearying. You're going to get tired in living the Christian life. It's not an easy life. We sometimes try to make it an easy life. It is easy in comparison to the sinner's life. The way of the sinner is hard, the Bible tells us. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and burden is light. And the reason for that is that we're yoked with Jesus. But it's not easy. You just rest up. You brush up and you go on. You say, but this work is so monotonous. Well, you just do it better. You know, somebody has said that a successful man is a man that can do ordinary things extraordinarily well. And that's what a Christian is. He can take these simple truths and these simple practices that our Lord has imposed upon us. And he can do them exceptionally well. But sometimes people will say, well, I don't see any results. Well, you know, you just have to keep on, keeping on. We're not very good uh, judges of what results are really about. Our Lord does not judge us on results. He judges us upon our diligence and our willing to work in His service. And people sometimes say, but I plod along and I make no progress. Never mind. You're not a good judge of what success is really all about. If you're serving the Lord, then you are a success. What I'm saying is this, that we must practice perseverance. You know, the apostle in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3 was commending these Thessalonian Christians because of their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Well, along with our labor of love and our uh, work of faith, There has to be this patience of hope. And remember the words of the apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, when he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Our labor is never in vain in the Lord. Sometimes people think, I'm not doing much. But if you're doing anything, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Many years ago, before the introduction of modern wrecking equipment, it is said that there was a great architect who was wanting to remove some stone building. Well, all they had in that time was these huge battering rams. And so he brought it in and it began to batter against that stone wall. Well, he battered all day and nothing happened. The next day, nothing happened. The next day, nothing happened. And so that went on for weeks. 
But then one day, there was just a hairline crack appeared in that wall. And it wasn't long before that old stone building was lying in the dust. And so it is, my friends, sometimes when you and I are battering against this old world of ours, and it seems like nothing is happening, we're not obtaining any success, but you just keep battering away. And eventually this old world will lie in dust at your feet. As the apostle said in Galatians 6 and 9, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hope. Well, we're to stand fast. The apostle was very pleased that these people were in the right place. He said, now you keep your place. And now he's going to offer them some motives for doing so. He's going to tell them why they need to keep their place. Number one, it was because of their citizenship. He said in Philippians uh, 3 and 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle says, you keep your place, place because you're citizens of heaven. You're citizens of that beautiful place that the Lord is going to give you one of these days. You know, we should be brave and we should be steadfast simply because of who we are. I'm told that it was said of the citizens of Athens that they were compelled to be brave. And Xerxes one time said, these Athenians are not ruled by kings. How will they fight? And the answer came back, no, but every man respects the law and each man is ready to die for his country. They were steadfast in that respect. You know, Philippi was the a colony of Rome. When you were a citizen of Philippi, you were also a citizen of Rome. And you lived by the same law. And when you walked the streets of Philippi, it was like walking the streets of Rome. The apostle is telling these Philippian brethren, not only are you citizens of Rome, but you even have a higher citizenship. You're citizens of heaven. You're a heavenly people with a heavenly purpose, a heavenly life, and a heavenly destiny. And that destiny, of course, is eternal life. And that's the greatest motive of all. That's the reason we keep on keeping on, because at the end of the road is eternal life in the presence of the Lord. But secondly, the apostle says, you keep your, uh, you keep your place because of your at outlook. He says, from which, that is from heaven, we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you be steadfast because Jesus is coming. He's even on his way, as it were, right now. At any time, he may appear on the scene. He promised that he was going to come and he was going to die for us. And he did. And he promised that he's going to come again. And he will. And every moment of our life, every event of providence is just moving us closer and closer to that time when Jesus is coming again. Are you looking for him? If you're looking for him, you're going to be standing fast. And you're going to be looking forward to the day when you can say, welcome, welcome, thou son of God. 
because he is going to appear upon the scene. And you're going to wait with comfort and you're going to wait with patience. You know, I read one time about a ship that was anchored just outside of a certain port and the sea was raging and, and the lights along the shore had been covered over with the fog and even though the captain was at the wheel, he couldn't go into the port. Now the pilot had said that he was going to come, but he couldn't come because of the raging sea. But there's some people on that, on that ship who said, you just go on into the, into the port, regardless. And the, and the captain said, no, I'll not take that risk. I'll wait for the pilot to come to lead us. Even if it takes a week, I'm going to wait. Well, of course, the pilot did come and they were led safely to the shore. Our pilot, my friends, is coming. We don't know exactly when he will come, but we're going to patiently wait for him until that day. And one day he's going to appear, as it were, walking on the sea. And he's going to bring us safely to that shore. And then, my friends, we must stand fast because of the expectation. What is that expectation? He said in Philippians 3 and 21 that Jesus will transform our lowly body. That it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue, subdue all things to himself. He says you can expect one thing, that when Jesus comes, he's going to transform this lowly body, this body of our humiliation. And he's going to change it into something that is wonderful, like unto his glorious body. No more headaches or heartaches, no more feebleness or fainting, no more cardiacs or cancer. We're going to have a body like the body of Jesus. Now we live in these decaying, decaying bodies that are eventually going to return to the dust. But then we're going to have a body that shall be like the, uh, unto the body of Jesus. It's going to be the wonder of the entire universe. Full of beauty, full of health, full of strength. It's going to be immune from evil. It'll have a special abdomen adaptation to that which is holy and true. What a great day that day will be. So Paul says, says, don't throw that away. Relinquish your glory. Relinquish being like Jesus. Relinquish eternal life. God forbid what folly that would be for all of us. But then he says, you stand fast because of your resources. How is the Lord able to come and do all of these things that he promises he's going to do? How is he going to be able to transform this lowly body into something that is wonderful and glorious? How is he going to be able to transfer us into that, that eternal place? Well, he tells us that it is according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 
In other words, the apostle is saying we can stand fast because of that which is behind us, because of the ability of our Lord. We have a God who is able. We have a Christ who is able. And he's able to do all of these things. You know, it is said at the Battle of Waterloo that there was an officer of Wellington that sent a soldier to him and he said, I want you to relieve me of my post. He thought that the battle was going to be lost. And Wellington uh, sent that soldier back with this message. He says, you tell all my officers to remain in their place, to either win the battle or die. And that's exactly what they did. Of course, what they didn't realize was that the Prussians were on their way and they were going to help them to win that battle. They won the battle simply because of who was at their back. Who's at our back? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who is able to subdue all things unto himself. Here we are, this little old group down here on this earth, so insignificant, we wonder if we can ever accomplish anything. But who's at our back? Of course it is the Lord, and we're going to stand fast regardless of the circumstances. Years ago, I heard Taylor Joyce tell this story. He said that Petruski, who is a famous pianist, came to a certain concert hall and he was going to play for a very sophisticated audience. He said they all came in their finery and he said there was one lady who came with a little nine-year-old boy. She thought if if he could hear or see Petruski play that he'd be encouraged to practice his lessons. Well, the little boy didn't want to be there. He was squirming. He was wiggling about. And when she turned to talk to her neighbor, he just slipped down out of that seat and went right up on that stage, sat down at Petruski's piano and began to play chopsticks. Well, the people were enraged. They said, get that boy off of the stage. Who is his mother? Why would she bring him here anyway? Petruski was off stage and he heard the commotion and he saw what was happening. And he very quickly put on his coat and he adjusted his tie. And he walked out behind that boy and he didn't snatch him off his stool. He just put his long arms around him and began to play counter melodies along with what the boy was playing. And as he did, he whispered in his ear, he said, don't quit, don't stop, just keep playing. You know, I'd like to think, my friends, that when you and I are going through our struggles in life and it seems so difficult and everybody may be against us, I would like to think that the Lord is reaching his strong arms about us and he is whispering in our ear, Don't quit. Don't stop. Just stand fast in me. And so tonight, my friends, you and I must stand fast 
Stand fast because of who we are. We're citizens of heaven. We must stand fast because of who is coming. Jesus, the Son of God, is going to appear one of these days. And we should stand fast by, for, because of what we will become. We'll have an immortal body that is a per perfectly adapted for eternity and for all the felicities of heaven. And we should stand fast because of who is behind us. And that, of course, is the Lord. How blessed we are. I wonder if there's someone in the audience who is not a Christian. If so, become one. It's the greatest life that you can possibly live. We've given that plan of salvation every night. I'm going to give it as long as I live. Because our Lord commanded it in His great commission. You must believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Put you into Christ. Into that position where you have salvation. All the old life is gone and you can begin a new life in Jesus Christ. One has done that during this meeting. God bless her. God bless you for having one new soul, a saved soul in this congregation. Maybe there's someone that's straight away from you, Lord. Come back while we stand, while we sit.